0: What if his people prayed? Hey, welcome back to Extreme Makeover Prayer Edition. Right now we're in the bathroom with uh, Miss Stinky Pants over here. What? Yeah, you heard me, Miss Stinky Pants. Come on, admit it. You stink sometimes. Look, you gotta admit your stink and that you need some cleansing every once in a while or else you're never gonna get clean. I don't stink. Let me tell you what we did, and this is probably the most remarkable, significant, most dramatic change that we've done in this house. We went from a 12-hour deodorant to a 24-hour deodorant, and we feel like you're gonna benefit from this a lot. And not only you, but your newfound friends, too. Do they think I stink? Look, I didn't want to tell you, but a lot of people are complaining. Okay. And. Okay, all right, I get it. We found your scale that was tucked away too in the closet. Maybe get on every once in a while. All right, guys, on to the next room. The fourth part in our Extreme Makeover series. We are doing an Extreme Makeover here, but we are doing Prayer Edition. And for those who are just kind of joining in today, what we said our goal of this series is to build a house of prayer for God. And what we've been doing is going room by room in our house of prayer because what we agreed is that prayer is more than just an act. Prayer is supposed to be a house that we live in, and it's a house where we have communion with God. And the way that prayer is supposed to work is it's not always supposed to be look the same and feel the same, and it's not always supposed to be the same. There's diversities of prayer, and just like in a house, You have different rooms, and each room is built based on the purpose of that room. Same in the house of prayer. We're on our third room today, so let's kind of review the first two rooms we talked about. The first room in our house of prayer. You guys remember what the first room was? It was the family room. What was the family room? It is simple prayer. And that's where we just bring, cast all our care upon God, and we say whatever it is that we feel. And that's the foundation of prayer, is a relationship with a father, a son to a father, coming home from school, and daddy's saying, how was your day? Or how was school? That's the basis. But prayer doesn't end in the family room. Then last week we moved to the kitchen, which the kitchen is structured prayer. And we agreed that we need the, the simple prayer, but we also need the structured prayer. And we want to keep the two balanced. And we talked about how last week, remember we showed this verse together? We're talking about this verse, Romans eight twenty nine that our goal is to be conformed to the image of his son. That's our goal in, in everything we do here like we talk about medical students know their goal is to be a doctor. Uh, dental students to be a dentist. People inside the members of the body of Christ in the church, our goal is be conformed to the image of his son. And how we do that is through our times and structured prayer. We, we set aside time on a regular basis that we, we, like Moses, we go up the mountain, we spend time with God. And like Moses came down the mountain, was shining, was transformed, same will happen for us when we're consistent with it. Today, we're going to get to the third room, which is going to be the washroom, which is the nice way of saying the bathroom. And we'll see what that's all about. Let's go back to this verse right here. And last week, if you remember, when I talked about this idea of being conformed to the image of his son, we agreed that me becoming like Christ, easy or hard, simple or, 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 or something that can be done quickly or takes a long time. Long time. Lifelong journey. Like, we're not just talking about making some adjustments, unlike in the video where they just kind of made some adjustments. We're talking about a real reconstruction right here. And if my mind is gonna think the thoughts of Christ, that's gonna take some time. Like, my coworker comes and says this, I respond this, but Christ would respond this. It's gonna take some time for that mind to change. It's gonna take some time for my anxieties to turn into trust. It's going to take some time for my eyes to turn into the eyes of Christ that looked at people with pure eyes, compassionate eyes, and not the way that my eyes are. These things take time. It's not going to happen overnight. It's a long journey that we are going to begin to walk, but we realize we're probably not going to get to the end of it for a little bit of time. Agree? Can we see progress along the way? Imagine you're taking an airplane trip, and you're going from D.C. to Los Angeles, all right, and it's a uh, direct flight. You're up in the plane. It's a long journey, five hours, five and a half, whatever it may be. It's a long journey, and you look out the window. Can you tell if you're making progress? Out the window? I mean cloud one cloud two cloud three <laughs> you know what I mean like maybe if you're sharp enough that you can pick up you know what's the mighty Mississippi look like from the window if you got a window seat but most likely you kind of look outside and, and you it kind of looks the same and there is this fear of I'm not making any progress that's why the airlines did the best thing channel one on the TV is what <laughs> the map one okay for people like me who are always scared that hey like we make I like to watch that map you know, I like to see the progress and, like, check off past Kansas, you know what I mean, past Missouri. Like, I like to, I like to see that as we get through. As you're going on the plane, you can't see that you're making progress, but all you want to make sure is they have the dotted line that's going from here to there. And you just want to make sure you're on the line. You want to make sure you're going at the right, like, angle. Because if you see the dotted line's going this way and you start to go this way, you're going to be in trouble. And it may not look like it, but you want to make sure – Like the guy at the bottom, you know, the control tower, he can't see, you know, he doesn't know this guy may be going um, like this fast or this high, whatever. But he want to make sure that the, the, the direction is right and that the angle is right. What happens if I'm going from D.C. to Los Angeles and I shift, let's say I'm supposed to be going 45 degrees north longitude. And then I shift from 45 degrees to 44 degrees. Is that a big deal? Just one degree is a big deal. What's the big deal if I'm going from here? What's the big if I just deviate slightly? Is it a big deal? A small deviation over a long period of time leads to big problems. Agree? If it's a short distance, a small deviation from here to that podium, like you, it's okay. But if it's not D.C. to L.A., it's D.C. to Hong Kong or D.C. to... The moon or Mars or whatever. The small deviation over a long period of time makes a big difference. Agree? So what does the radar control guy need to constantly be doing? Knowing, okay, I don't know if you're going to be there in four days or in five days or in six days or in seven days or eight days. But I need to know that you're on the right course. And as long as you're at 45 degrees latitude, then you'll be okay. But once I see shifted to 44, action needs to be taken. Because what happens when you got to 44, if you leave it unnoticed, you might go to 43. You might go to 42, you might end up at 40, and next thing you know, you end up in a bad position. The same is true spiritually, of our spiritual journey to become conformed to the image of Christ. King Solomon says this in Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 15. He says, catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vine. Did you know that it's not big things that are going to derail your spiritual life, it's little things? The likelihood that a big thing is going to derail you is very small. Like, the likelihood that someone, of course, God knows, like we, anything could happen. But I don't expect anyone here is going to rob a bank. I don't expect anyone here is going to go on a, um, a, a malicious kind of a, a terror, become a terrorist or something like that. These big acts are probably not likely. But what is likely, if you're not careful, is small deviations. And let's be honest. Any big act started with a small deviation, didn't it? Nobody ever woke up and said, you know what? My wife is the best. We've been married for 12 years. I think I want to cheat on her today. No one says that. What do they say? They look and they say, hmm, she kind of looks nice. Starts with a little look. A little looky-looky. A little looky-looky turns into a thought. I wonder if she would be nice to hang out with. And that leads to a little flirty flirty and a conversation and then a lunch and then another lunch and then uh, you know how the story goes nobody ever woke up and decided that they were going to be addicted to anything addiction begins with a small taste spiritually no one ever said my goal is to deny my creator and my goal is to have zero faith in god and to deny the existence of god no one says that but what it is it's a small little lack of trust it's a small little, I don't accept this that God has given me. And that small little, over time, that small deviation can end up in bad places. Best example of this is look at a guy that everyone doesn't want to become Judas. Judas was the worst guy ever, right? Ju- did Judas start off as the worst guy ever? Judas was a good guy. He's one of the 12. He's one of Jesus' close guys. Not him, he's one of the 12. Which one of the 12 was he? He was the treasurer. He was the one that Jesus said of all you 12, the one I trust with my wallet is you. So Judas was a high-ranking guy, like he was very respected. And Judas was there with all the miracles, was there on the walking on the water, wedding of Cain, like Judas was there. But what happened? Judas, on his journey, a little bit of greed, a little bit of ego, a little bit of arrogance, led Judas to miss the target. Small deviations over time lead to missing the mark. Do you know that the definition of the word sin, the word sin in Greek is the word amarteia. Say that with me. Amarteia. Amarteia. Amarteia literally means missing the mark. That's what it literally means. The word sin, we think of sin as doing bad stuff. That is not how the Bible defines sin. Sin is not when you murder or you adultery or you cheat or you steal. That's not sin. Sin is any time that you... Arrow misses the mark. What's the mark? Jesus is the mark. What's the mark with my thoughts? Thoughts of Jesus. What's the mark with my eyes? Eyes of Jesus. What's the mark with my relationships? Relationships like Jesus would do it. Anytime I miss that mark, that is sin. And that means, in case you never realize this, that you may never commit a major sin, but you might still be missing the mark. It's not about major sins. Don't tell me I haven't broken the Ten Commandments. Don't tell me that. The question is not, did you? That's not our religion. That other religions have talked about. That's not our religion. What we believe is that sin is anytime you miss the mark of Christ. So, that's why we need something called repentant prayer. There's a word in the Bible, it's a Greek word, it's the word penthos the word penthos is not easy to translate into English because there's no suitable word to describe what it means. Literally, it means mourning or sorrow. But it doesn't mean mourning, like morning with a U, mourning. It doesn't mean sorrow and mourning in the sense of just crying or grieving. It means like a godly mourning, a blessed sorrow. A best expression is a broken and contrite heart. That's what this word penthos means. And that's the word that you see here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, when Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We misinterpret this verse. And we say that uh, I'm sad because I had this disaster. Jesus will make me happy in life. That's not what this verse means. That, That doesn't mean that anyone who's sad, God, will just give us happiness. That's not what it means. It means blessed are those who have a godly sorrow in their life have a godly mourning, who have a broken and contrite heart. Because these are the ones whom God will comfort and reward. St. Anthony the Great said the following. He said, whoever wishes to advance in building up virtue will do so through weeping and tears. Whoever wishes to build up, advance in building up virtue will do so through weeping and tears. Now let me call a timeout right here. You coming here today to the well for the first time, we're singing songs, we're upbeat, we're clapping, we're happy, we're all smiling. And why you got to bring up crying, sorrow? Like it sounds so like like uh, the, the, the nun with the ruler, okay? Like be sorry, cry, be miserable. Like why, why? Let's keep it going. And our society especially, like we don't like the, the negative side. We like the, the live and let live side. The the, the, the the prosperity side of things. Why all this weeping and misery and like mourning? Again, it's not about being a miserable person. If you're a miserable person, don't attribute that to God. If you're miserable, you're miserable. All right? And Jesus was the most unmiserable person in the world. Jesus was the most upbeat, the most joy-filled person. How do we know that for a fact? Who loved to hang out with Jesus? Children. Children don't like to hang out with miserable people. Children like to be around fun people who like to laugh and tell jokes. And Jesus was that way. Jesus was the most upbeat. So mourning is not against joy. Mourning is not against joy. So what is this mourning all about? I'll give you another verse where you see this word penthos. Acts 2 verse 37. It says, now when they heard this, this is when St. Peter's preaching to the multitudes, they were cut to the heart. That's what godly mourning is all about. That's what that broken spirit is all about. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart. Whatever St. Peter said, whatever the Holy Spirit did inside them, they were broken, they were cut, they were penthos. They were repentant and they said, tell me what you want me to do. I'm convinced. This word, broken and contrite heart, If I had to come up with like a a way to describe it. It's knowing that your state of sinfulness. Knowing your state of sinfulness is cutting you off from the presence of God. From the fullness of the presence of God. Let me say it that way. That knowing that God wants to invite me into the bedroom of the house of prayer. But knowing that I cannot advance there because I have a state of sin. Not because I've done a sin, but because I have a state of sin. Repentance is not about the sins that you do. It's about the state that you are. Let me say that again in a different way. You may be sitting there and saying, okay, this has nothing to do with me. Um, I didn't lie. I didn't cheat. I didn't steal. I didn't gossip. I didn't sleep during church. Like, I didn't do any of those bad things. Therefore, I don't need to worry about this repentance stuff. Repentance is not about your actions. Repentance is about your state. Let me say it this way. We are not sinners because we do sinful things. We do sinful things because we are sinners. This is not about saying, I have sinned. This is about saying, I am a sinner. Do you see the difference? What I'm saying is, on the days that you do lots of bad stuff, you need repentance. On the days that you did not know bad stuff, you need repentance. Because it's not about the, the actions of sin, not that I have sinned. This is about the cut to the heart brokenness. Is that I am a sinner. And when I see who God is. Remember last week we talked about God. We talked about how we want to become like God. All pure. All holy. All wise. All just. All unselfish. All everything. And then here comes me. Trotting myself into the presence of God. And who am I? I'm full of selfishness. I'm full of pride. I'm full of ego. I'm full of all these impurities. And I'm going to come trot myself into God. It doesn't matter if I didn't do anything bad today the way I think I did. Who am I that I can stand next to God? I can't. And this broken and contrite heart is that realization. That because of my state, because of the sinful nature which is inside me, I cannot stand in the same picture as God. I ruin the picture. And it's a feeling of, let me say this but I'll explain it. Disgust with our state. Not in a self-pity. Not in a self-loathing. Not at all. In fact, the exact opposite. Not in a feel-bad-about-myself way, but in understanding who I am and who he is. Let me give you some verse to explain it, because I know this is a tough concept. Romans 7, verse 15 through 20. St. Paul, who at this point in time in his life is not doing very many bad sins. He's not doing many bad actions, but look what he says. He says, what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. But now, it is no longer I who do it, but that's, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. This is that broken and spirit of repentance, knowing who my state is. For to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells with me. Look. We may or may not realize it, whether you realize it or don't realize it. The truth of the matter is you have inside you something called a corrupt nature. This was, you can blame it on Adam, blame it on Eve, whatever. Blame it on whoever you want. It's the fact of the matter. is that inside of us, exactly like a car that drives that always pulls to the right. You know, the, 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 guy, the car that always pulls to the right. You get the wheels in line, it still pulls to the right. We, as human beings, we always pull towards sin. And our, our nature is always towards sin. Now when we receive the Spirit, and when we are baptized into the family of God, we are given the Spirit of God, and now we have a new power to fight against the old nature which is inside of us. But the old nature and the new nature, the new doesn't kill the old. The new stays inside, and the two fight. And that's the goal of life, is that we're trying to fight, we're trying to make this guy stronger, to beat the other guy. But if you think this guy disappeared, you're sadly mistaken. This guy lays low sometime just to kind of make you feel good about yourself, and then he sucker punch you from the back. But this guy's always in there. And as long as you don't realize that state inside you, you're never going to understand true repentance. True repentance, again, we are not we don't do sinf- we are not sinful because we do sinful things. We do sinful things because we are sinful people. St. Paul finishes this passage, Romans 7, 24. He says, he sums it up. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The answer, who will deliver you? God will deliver you through repentance. And that's the kind of prayer that we want to talk about right now is the repentance kind of prayer. Last week, we saw in the kitchen, the structured prayer goal is to hit the target. Okay, and we agreed that target's a far, far way away. Well, repentance is what's going to make sure that we stay on track. And it's gonna, we're going to make some time for repentant prayer, remind ourselves of who we are, and make sure that we don't deviate too much. Because it's okay if I deviated for a day, and then repentant got back on course. Two days, three days. But the longer I stay deviated, I've deviated for a while, and I haven't examined, and I haven't repented for a while. You've been for two years flying on the wrong direction. It's not that you can't get back, but it's going to take you a lot longer. Exactly like if you're driving and you get off at the wrong exit. You figure it out after two minutes, no problem. Five-minute deviation. You figure it out after two hours, pull over and grab a sandwich because you're going to be getting take your time to get back. Today we're going to the washroom. Because if you were going to the kitchen, last week we talked about the kitchen. Everyone knows before you go to the kitchen, you got to stop and wash your hands. All right? So when we talk about the bathroom or the washroom, okay, it's not bathroom like toilet, okay, it's bathroom like, okay, like washing, okay, put that, that's why we said powder room or washroom or whatever it is you want to call it, all right, WC or someone told me or something like that. Prayer means, we agreed, prayer means presence of God. That's what it's all about. Well, if I am going to walk into this room, presence of God, then I got to make sure Before I go in there, I check in the mirror and make sure to, like, wipe the mayonnaise off my face, clean up my stuff, comb my hair, and then go in. But I can't just bust into there looking as I look. Think of an example like this. Let's say um, a rich king, all right? Uh, A rich king comes to a man on the street, okay? A man living on the street, homeless man who's, you know, like, torn clothes and messed up and all this kind of stuff. And the rich man says, I'm having this big uh, formal party. And you are invited to come. And the man says, well, I can't afford to come. Like, you know, it's a $100 a ticket. He's like, I can't afford to come. And the man says, don't worry. I will pay for you to come in. I will pay for you to not only come in, you be my honored guest. You sit at the head table next to me. The man says, wow, that's amazing. And the guy says, okay, tomorrow night at 7, you come to this event. What should that homeless man do after that? Nothing. Show up at 7? Yeah, you find a way, you wash your hair, Yeah, you, 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 you clean up as much as you can, you trim, like whatever it is that you need to do. You clean yourself up because even though the king has been so gracious to invite you and said that it's free to come, just because it's free to come doesn't mean that we don't have a part to do. And if that guy shows up without doing his best, without doing his best to put on his nicest, you know what I mean, and, and whatever it is that good that he has, then that king has a right to be pretty upset at that guy. Agree? That's us in prayer. Yeah, you don't deserve to pray. You don't deserve. None of us deserve to stand there. There's God on his throne, the angels, the arch. None of us deserve. And it's not about being worthy to deserve. God said, I welcome you in. Anyone is welcome in my room. Anybody, no matter how dirty you come, no matter how unclean, anybody is welcome. But like the Samaritan woman, if you want this communion to continue, you're going to have to do your best to clean up a little bit. You have to show me that you're, that you're putting in some effort. You're not just going to... Sh- like, imagine the story of the Samaritan woman. When Jesus comes to her, I love you, water, eternal life, whatever, whatever. And she said, okay, good. I'm going to go and hang out with my husbands right now. I'll be back tomorrow to drink of this eternal water. And that doesn't work that way. I'm offering you eternal life. But you got to go and just like Jesus said to the lady, another lady in John 8. He said, your sins are forgiven, but go sin no more. He said, your, your faith has saved you, but go sin no more. has to be that way. That's the presence of God. Hebrews 12, 14 and Mark 5, 8 say the same thing. It says, pursue peace with all people and pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Again, you may not be holy, but if you are not pursuing holiness, then you're not going to be able to get to that upper room that we're trying to, you're not going to make it to the third floor of this house of prayer if you're not pursuing holiness. And Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they're the ones who shall see God. There's many examples in the scriptures that teach this concept of repentant prayer and the importance of repentance as we approach prayer. I haven't defined how it applies to us. I'm just talking about the concept. In the Old Testament, there was something called the tabernacle. All right, And for those who, who, who know the Old Testament, the tabernacle was this long rectangular thing where God would meet with his people. And, and let's start from this side. This is the outside. So you would enter this tabernacle, and the goal was to get to the Holy of Holies. And that was in the far west side of it. Okay, they used to, all their prayers were towards the west in the Old Testament. So they used to go, and that's the goal, to get to that Holy of Holies. To get there, there was first this altar, and then there was some stuff back here. And then there was something before entering the Holy of Holies. And that was called a bronze laver. And the laver, as as the picture shows and as the as the name implies, was a place where the priest would wash his hands before entering the Holy of Holies. They were supposed to enter to offer incense, to offer their prayers, to be in the presence of God, but they could not enter without going through the bronze laver. And the way that God told them to build the bronze laver, does anyone know? On the inside of the bronze laver, what was the material that it was made out of on the inside? Outside was bronze. Inside, anybody? Not gold. Mirrors, very good. It was made of mirrors. Why? Why? Because that priest is there washing. What is he seeing? Seeing himself. And God was showing the principle, before you enter my presence, you look in the mirror and you wash. You don't just stroll on into my presence. You wash before you do it. Those who who, um, attend the the liturgy, the liturgy of the Eucharist here in the Orthodox Church, you know it's the same thing. The priest washes his hands before we approach. It's not just because the priest came in with stuff under his fingernails. It's the same principle of washing, the priest is reciting a psalm of repentance, okay? That we wash our hands in innocence before we go into your altars, what the priest is saying. New Testament, another beautiful example. Go to John chapter 13. John chapter 13 is the story of the Last Supper, where Jesus took his disciples and brought them into the bedroom. We talked about the bedroom in our house of prayer as the point of most intimacy, and Jesus took them there. On his very last night, he took them to that highest of highest rooms. And they have communion. And my flesh and my blood inside you. Abide me and I in you. And there. But he had to do something before he entered inside them in that way. He had to do something before he took them to that bedroom. John chapter 13. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper. They're about to start the meal. Jesus gets up and says, hold on, before we start the meal. He rose from supper laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Why would he stop the meal for washing? Because the rule is to enter the Holy of Holies, you must pass by the washing first. And then he goes to this little thing where Peter says, no, you never washed my feet. Jesus says to him, look, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. That's a bold statement. He said, look, simply, you don't stop by the bathroom, the washroom, don't come up to the bedroom. You don't stop by the washroom, don't come up to the bedroom. That's harsh. That's, that's tough. But that's what Jesus says. And that's why we need to take repentance seriously. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here. And I'm going to say, that the overall state, okay, of our prayers and the repentance in our prayers is weak. And I'm the first one to say it's weak. And it's weak not because we don't repent when we do bad stuff. I'm sure somebody did something bad, guilt, and we we cry and we say, God, forgive me. Absolutely. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about repenting for sins. I'm talking about a spirit, a life of repentance, a life of a broken and contrite heart, I'm talking about a state of repentance that we have in general that we approach every prayer with the spirit of your God and you are holy and almighty and I am dirty. And the only way that I come in is I say, Lord, forgive me, a sinner, and have mercy on me. And that's the way I enter the prayer. I don't enter God's room like this. Like anybody who ever saw God in heaven, no one enters heaven like this. Actually, Lucifer is the only one who entered heaven like that. Lucifer is the only one who kicked in the door and said, give me what I want. Only Lucifer. Everyone else who walks into heaven, they get in there, fall flat on their face. And they say, God, you're a holy God, and I'm a sinful man, and depart from me. And once we do that, okay, God always lifts us up and he washes us. But I'm talking about that spirit of repentance. I think we're weak in that. And we need to get better at it. Because like I said, whether we sin today, whether we, I should say, whether we realize we sin today or we don't, we are sinful people today in need of repentance. So let's try to make that Practical, like what am I talking about practically? What does it mean to enter the washroom of, of repentant prayer? Like, what is that what does that look like? I struggled with this one because I tell you, let me tell you what I do not want to do. I do not want to tell you, say this prayer, do this, and then you've repented. Because it's not an action, it's a spirit. It's a spirit of repentance that we need. And whether you say it like this, you do it like like it, It's not the goal, isn't the action. Okay, the goal isn't like say these words. That's not the goal. The goal is a spirit of repentance that everywhere I go, that I know who I am and who he is. And I realize that relationship, what it's supposed to look like. So I'll give you some tips, but but don't don't make it into a if I do A, B, C and D, then I've done repentance. You do A, B, C, D all for the rest of your night. Like it's not going to make a spirit of repentance. It's a broken and contrite heart. But there's certain things that we can do to help us to practice it. The the fathers of the church talk about this spirit of repentance and say that this spirit of humbling oneself before God is the one greatest protection you have against the devil. You know why? Because the devil can do a lot of things, but there's one thing the devil cannot do. He cannot go down. He can't. He always wants to go up. He cannot go down. He cannot humble himself. And when you go down and you humble yourself... The devil can't reach you. The one area we are most protected is when we go down and humble ourselves. And by the same token, we know that God, as he promised many times in the scripture, gives grace to the humble, all right? And that when we humble ourselves, this is our number one way to fight the good fight of virtue and becoming like Christ. So, again, some tips. Before I give you the tips, here's the visual in your mind, okay? Here's the visual. As we go into our house... We go into the bathroom, we wash, we go to the kitchen and we eat. The visual in our mind is before we enter the room of prayer that we are going to go into this repentant room of prayer and we're going to wash. Think about it as the bronze laver, that you're going into the Holy of Holies, but before I, I want to wash and then I go into the Holy of Holies. Think about it as I'm going to the Last Supper, but before I sit at the table, I'm going to sit in this room and Jesus is going to wash my feet and then I go in. Have that visual in your mind that I need to go do something before I do something. That's that's the visual in our mind. What is it we do when we're in there? Five tips of entering the washroom. First one, number one, is ask for help. What do I do? How do I have this repentant spirit? First thing, ask God to give it to you. Because remember, our first room of prayer is simple prayer. And simple prayer, we agreed, is the foundation of all prayer. And we are never going to graduate from simple prayer. We're never going to say that we're too spiritual for this. No. You want something, you ask God for help. And like, like uh, James says, that you do not have because you do not ask. And simply put, if you say, God, I stink at repentance. I don't have a broken and contrite heart. Please, God, give me a broken and contrite heart. I don't know what that means, but please help me to do it. Always start with simple prayer, asking God for help. Number two, examine myself. Take a look in the mirror. We agreed it's always easier to look out the window and see the faults of everyone else than it is to look in the mirror. Always easier to look outside and see, yeah, he did this, she did this. Always easier than to look in the mirror and see my own. You know what makes me feel guilty? Like, I'll confess right here. On this, I'm not good at examining myself. You know what makes me feel really guilty? When I shop, I never go to stores. I buy everything online. Everything online. But I am a very thorough online shopper. And I never believe the first two or three results that come up. I want to buy a new pair of socks. And this one says, you know, $15 for three pair. I'm convinced that I can get it for $14 somewhere out there on the internet. And you compare the shipping and the taxes and all this kind of stuff. And I'm going to get the cheapest possible. And at the end, I wasted like 40 minutes. And in the end, I saved like 14 cents or something ridiculous like that. And every time I want to kick myself. But that's just how God wired me. Like I'm always convinced that there's a deal out there somewhere. It is embarrassing how much examination and analysis I will do for a pair of socks as opposed to my own soul. Right? You go out there and buy a car. You spend months researching your car. You kick the tires. You check everything. You, before you spend a dollar, you make sure that you have examined it thoroughly. And then it comes to our souls and we don't even care. We don't even look and our soul is drifted fourteen degrees this way thirty degrees this way and we don't even look and we don't even examine but when it comes to spending our money we're very careful about which direction that goes in shame on us i discovered that anything in life without examination will eventually come to ruin Agree? anything in life without evaluation will eventually come to ruin what are we in uh... it's october right All right, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, right? Okay, something very good. All lays, make sure that you do whatever it is you need to do for that stuff. Okay, make sure y'all. Breast cancer is something which a very simple exam can solve a huge problem. Agree? Isn't that what it is? Like, I'm not an expert on this stuff, but like something very small. If you discover it early and you are aware, you can save yourself all this headache. Well, sin is the same way. Something very small something very small a very small deviation it's not a big deal to fix you didn't trust god you didn't you were you 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 didn't trust god in this situation it's not the end of the world but we need to correct it you walked in a path that you shouldn't have walked it's okay but we need to correct it but if you leave it to grow and grow and grow and grow the bible says in first corinthians or first chronicles 28:9 It says, the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of the thoughts. The reason our spiritual lives are weak is because we are unaware of our true state. And we spend, like I said, shopping online, buying cars. We spend so much time analyzing all those areas and evaluating it, and it comes to our own soul. and We spend zero time evaluating it. It is no wonder that things get messed up on the inside. Now when it comes to how to examine I know that's like a that's not an easy thing how do you examine yourself I'll give you just two things to keep in mind as you examine yourself think about you want to build around your your spiritual life you want to build around yourself a fence okay imagine you're building a fence around your spiritual life a fence has two functions okay it has like a gate okay and there's two functions of the gate first function Keep the bad guys out. Second function, let the good guys in. Right? Because if I built just a wall without a gate, then the good guys couldn't get in. All right? So I build a wall that has a gate. So keep the bad guys out, the good guys in. Spiritual life, examine the same thing. Spiritual life, usually we talk about examining ourselves. Did any bad guys come in my life? And You should examine that. We don't want any bad guys. But make sure that you examine the flip of that. Did I keep any good guys out? Meaning there's sins of commission and sins of omission. Sins of commission are the bad things I did. I yelled at so-and-so. I, you know, uh, I lied to this person. I cheated this person. All these bad things that I did. Sins of omission is the good that I failed to do. Because remember, our goal isn't just to avoid the Ten Commandments. Our goal is image and likeness of Christ. Image and likeness of Christ means that my coworker came to me at 3.30, and maybe I thought it was random, but maybe it wasn't random. Maybe it was sent by God, and I failed to listen to them. This person called me during dinner, and I got frustrated and annoyed. I could interrupt my dinner, all this kind of stuff. And I was quick and curt with them. But maybe that was God sending me an opportunity to minister to someone. You see what I'm saying? sins of omission and sins of commission. Examine on both of them. Number three. Confess. Confess. Confess what? What's confess mean? Confess means confess. It means you confess to God. You confess to the person if you sinned against a person. And then you, the sacrament of confession that we have in the church, don't go unbalanced on any of them. Some people do the sacrament of confession, but they don't confess to God. Some people confess to God daily, but they don't do the sacrament of confession. Jesus said, these you ought to have done, without leaving the others undone. Don't don't go off kilter on any one of them. We need the sacrament. We need the personal. And I can tell, and I tell this to people often sometimes, when they come for the sacrament, that if, they, if they've spent zero time in personal confession to God, it's very apparent. And that person who comes in and they've spent all the time with God in confession, that's very apparent as well. We need to confess personally, regularly, daily, and then we need to confess Not daily, you know, semi-regularly in the sacrament, okay? These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Your model of how to do this confession is this beautiful man in Luke chapter 18, verse 13 through 14. Jesus said there was a tax collector standing afar off who would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself, be exalted. This man didn't make excuses for his sin. Didn't try to justify his sin. Didn't think that it was someone else's fault for his sin. This man stood before God. And he had the penthos, the mourning, the broken heart, and said, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And the Bible says that this man went down to his house justified this day. What I like about this story, too, is that when this man confessed, Notice he didn't confess all his individual sins. I'm not saying we shouldn't confess our individual sins. But what I'm saying is his spirit of repentance is more important than the individual. See what I'm saying? Like sometimes we may say, I did this, I did this, I did this. But we don't have the spirit of repentance. If we don't have the spirit, then the individual is worthless. This guy had the spirit. And that's why even though he may not have mentioned the individuals, or maybe he did, we don't know. But my point is, it's the spirit of God. You are God, and I am not be merciful to me, a sinner. Number four. We've asked, we've examined, we've confessed. Now we get to the purpose of it all. Enter God's presence. If all you do is you go in and wash, and you go back out to the garage, and you come in and wash, that's not the goal. The goal is to get to the table and eat. Or the goal is to get to the upstairs and commune. So washing is a means to an end. The whole point is the repentance to get to the presence of God. It's to get If Jesus just washed their feet and then sent them off, it wouldn't have been the same. He washed their feet. Then he invited them to participate in his body and his blood. Same thing with the labor. It was to wash to get into the holy of holies. John chapter 3 verse 5. This is what Jesus said to Nicodemus. He said, most surely I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. We know the references of this towards baptism. Forget about that for a second. Let's take this in a spiritual way of applying to our entering the kingdom of God on a daily basis when we pray. That's the whole goal, is that our house of prayer is that we want to enter the kingdom of God on a day-to-day basis. Two criteria. You need water, and you need spirit. Spirit is the God part. Water is the me washing part. And every day, I need a wash. And the days that I don't wash, the days that I don't have water, is the days that I'm not going to live in the kingdom. Because I cannot enter the kingdom. The only way you enter the kingdom is a humble spirit. Remember the story of the prodigal son. All right, I told you all in the beginning of this series that, that the picture of prayer is the picture of the prodigal son. Where he was far away, and then he remembered, and he came to the father. And he said, and whatever he said, he said. But the, the prayer is the coming back to our father. It is the, We live away when we don't pray. When we pray, it's coming back to the father. First thing he said is repentance. He says, father, forgive me. And then as soon as he said that, what did the father do? Come sit down at the table and let's have a feast. The goal was the feast. The goal wasn't the repentance. Like had he just repented, said I'm sorry, and then gone back, the story wouldn't have been the same. We repent in order to commune with God. And don't stop at just, like that's when you become a miserable person. If all you do is repent and feel sorry for yourself and self-pity and I'm bad, that's not the goal. That's a step to get to the presence of God. And then last step is a very practical one, is act in obedience. What do I mean by act in obedience? It means do something, man. Do something. Like, it has to be something to do. If if, if you confess, I, I lied to my brother, pick up a phone, call your brother, and tell him the truth. Like, go act in obedience. If you say, I stole um, or I cheated on my timesheet. Go to your office and correct your timesheet. There has to be, like, it can't be that I repent, I confess, and then I keep my mouth shut about it. Whatever it is that I need to do to make restitution, I need to do. And that may mean apologizing to somebody. That may mean putting down, that may mean not going into prayer, as, as Christ commanded us, leaving my gift at the altar, and going to so-and-so and saying, Hey, let's fix this right here. There needs to be an action if there's a true repentance. Not always, like I'm not going to say there's always an action, but I'm saying oftentimes there is an action, and don't neglect the importance of that action. I'll tell you one action, just as like my 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 opinion on this one, one of the most important actions that you can do to find real communion with God and to really live a true spirit of broken and contrite heart, like to live it as a life, not just an action. You know, there's a verse in James 5, 16 that says, confess your trespasses to one another that you may be healed. One of the things that I've long felt, one of the reasons why we struggle, we struggle to understand God's forgiveness for us is because we don't share our struggles with others. And we keep it all contained in here. and We want to hide all of my stuff, and then I'm hoping God forgives me, but I don't open myself for an opportunity where I can share with someone else and this person could say, hey, you know God is forgiving you. You know how powerful that is to hear that? Yeah, you hear the priest say it once every however often you confess. But it's very powerful when we open our lives to one another and we don't try to always put up a front of I'm perfect and I got everything together. You know the other thing that I believe, why we're all messed up with this forgiveness thing too, is because we never get a chance to act forgiveness for others. Like because you never come and share with me, then I can never express forgiveness. Like you come to me and say that you hurt me and then I would come and say, I forgive you. So I get a chance to forgive others and I get a chance to be the vehicle for forgiveness so then when it's my turn to need it, I know what it looks like and I know what it feels like. We live these lives of like isolated and kind of keep this false front and I'm telling you, you're hurting yourself and you're hurting the rest of the body as well. So maybe that's your act in obedience. Maybe God is telling you, go share, open up. Maybe God is telling you that, you know, don't, like next time your your, your mom calls, is everything okay? Open up. Next time you have a chance to hang out with that person, you know, instead of just talking about football and the skins and all that kind of stuff, maybe open up, make it a little bit more deep or a little more significant. Go past the superficial, might help you out. That's what repentant prayer is all about. It's not about just feeling bad about ourselves. It's about <sighs> that's what repentant prayer is all about. It's about <sighs> it's about being washed. You know that, you know that feeling. When you, you, you're nasty and you, you, you were working outside and mowing the lawn and you got the grass in your ear and in your nose and your eyes and you got dirt all over you and, and, and bugs all over the place and you take that shower and you come out. You know that feeling? That feeling. That's the feeling we all need. That's the whole point of repentant prayer is until we have that feeling, like until, I'm sorry, until we walk into that washroom, we'll never have that feeling. We'll always be weighed down God doesn't want us to live that way last thing i'll leave y'all with have y'all heard of the story of shrek the sheep y'all heard of this guy okay if you never heard of him that means you don't read my blog okay which is very bad that's put that down on one of the, that's the 11th commandment read the priest's blog okay i just I, I posted this article about this shrek the sheep guy shrek the sheep guy basically is this sheep okay funny looking sheep that you see right there in the picture a 60 pound fleece Sheep kind of a guy. Story is they found, this was in New Zealand uh, uh, several years ago. They found, they were in this cave and they found this sheep that had been hiding in this cave. Must have gotten lost, you know, years ago, whatever it is. And when they went in there to find the sheep, they saw him looking like this. And his name is Shrek. I don't know why his name is Shrek. And his fleece was 60 pounds in weight. Okay, as you see, like, you know what I mean? Like, he's a little bloated in the picture, as you see right there. 60 pounds. How much is a is a sheep supposed to fleece supposed to be? 10 pounds is average, 15 pounds max. Anytime the sheep gets above 10 pounds on the fleece, they they trim him, okay? And then they, you know, sell it or make a sweater or whatever it is that they do with it. But they don't ever let a sheep walk around like this. This guy had gone 5 to 6 times past the normal weight of any sheep should be able to carry. They found him. He found a shear. The shear spent 15 minutes with him. Shaved all the stuff off, fresh as new. You know who Shrek is? Shrek is all of us when we don't visit the washroom. Shrek is all of us. Because there is no reason for this sheep to go around looking so dumb and to feel so weighed down in life. There is absolutely no reason for the children of God to have so much dirt on their hands. It's one thing if we have a God who won't forgive us. It's one thing if we don't have grace. It's one thing if there's no washroom, or it's very expensive to get into. It's one thing if he says, I'll only wash you if. It's one thing if any of those things happens, I agree with you. Walk around like this. But when the master says, I'm on my hands and my knees, begging you, come to the washroom. I will wash you. I'll make you white as snow. I'll make you cleaner than you ever felt. Any weight or burden, I will remove it from you and move it as far as the east is from the west. There's no excuse To walk around looking like this. Look what God says in Hosea chapter 6. This is the spirit that all of us need. Especially those of us who haven't visited the washroom in a while. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up. That we may live in his sight. Our homework assignment for this week, your do-it-yourself project, as you see on your handout there, is that we want to, we're not adding anything extra. Okay, we talked about the simple prayer, talked about the structured prayer. and Hopefully everyone's doing good with the structured prayer, Prayer, at least doing your best. We're not adding anything. But what I want to do is add something very small. I want to change the spirit of our structured prayer. And I want to add the spirit of repentance before it. Basically what I'm saying is, still keep on going in the kitchen the same time as we were going, but this time stop by the bathroom. What I wrote down there in your, in, in your, in your handout. So what we want to do is, before we start the prayer, take 30 to 60 seconds of silence. And you may say 30 to that's a lot longer than you think. Okay, 30 to 60 seconds of silence. And remind yourself that you are a sinner, and that he is a holy God. And even what I encourage, okay, make a prostration. Okay, like a matanya. Okay, get yourself, and bow down. And get yourself in the right spirit. And then begin your prayer. Okay? And then begin your prayer with the right spirit. That we're still we're going into this room, but I'm not busting into this room. Um I'm gonna stop here. I'm gonna wash. I'm gonna say, Lord, forgive me because I'm a sinner. And 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 left to myself, there's all kinds of impurities inside me. And you know, Lord, all the stuff and, and any sins that we call to mind, like whatever it may be, and then we're gonna enter. With that new spirit. Can we do that this week? Can we do that? We're not adding a lot. 30 to 60 seconds. Can we add that to our prayers? Let's stand up for a prayer now. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, all of us confess that we are sinners. And that no matter what good we may try to do, what good we may think we do, Lord, None of it matches with, with the weight of our sin and, and, and the the amount of dirtiness inside all of us. But Lord, you have offered to clean us. You've offered to raise us up. You've offered to wash us and make us white as snow so that we can enter into that holy of holies and have true communion with you. Lord, give us this broken and contrite heart. Give us a spirit of repentance. Break, Lord, any part of us that's broken, proud or arrogant or thinks that we don't need repentance. Break that inside of us, Lord, because that's from the devil and we don't want any of that inside of us. Give us a true spirit of repentance, Lord, that we may experience you in a new way. I pray, Lord, that, that when we repent, that you would allow some people this week to feel like the weight of their sin has been removed, and that you would allow them to feel like they're making like a fresh start with you. And you teach us how to live that life of repentance on on a consistent basis. We pray this in the name of your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, Through Christ Jesus, our Lord, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Have a great week, guys. See you all next week.